I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you today, then uh, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. We'd invite you to take that and turn to Acts chapter 2. And as you're turning there, we'd ask you to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. So please stand with us. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Pray with me again. Father, we we ask again that you would be so gracious to stir our hearts that we might see things in your word perhaps that we have seen before or, or things that we haven't. Our desire is not to be merely insightful. Our desire is for our hearts to be changed, God, and our hearts to be affected with the truth and not be callous towards it. God, teach us about what biblical fellowship is today and how this glorifies you and magnifies you and do what only you can do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I shared with you uh, a few weeks ago as we were thinking about this coming year as a church family in the midst of that, that sermon from Philippians I shared with you that as I talked with ministry leaders and so forth, it seemed that one of the things that recurs in conversations that I have and just in my own thinking and praying as well is that our church needs to spend more time together, that maybe uh, we're big enough. Now, you couldn't tell this morning because we don't have as many here, right? But, but, uh, but our church is big enough where maybe we just don't know each other well. In fact, I've, I've pastored other churches and one uh, a whole lot smaller than this church, about 20 people on a Sunday. And I think the same problem could, was true in that church too. It's true in every church that we have to be real intentional to know each other. But why is that? Uh, why not just come and show up and be loosely connected and go on about our business and, and not really know each other well? Because you can't do what the Bible says like that. And so... Uh, perhaps I'm preaching to the choir this morning. Perhaps uh, I'm not. Perhaps this will be new to you this morning, but I'm glad you're here. It's no, it's kind of a, a you, coincidental, perhaps, I guess, that I'm preaching on being devoted to the fellowship, and you're devoted to be here this morning, and uh, with despite the snow and ice, and so we're glad you're here. Um, it was helpful this morning to come to Sunday school classes, and, uh, of course, somebody mentioned to me, you know, maybe next time preacher we ought to cancel Sunday school uh, because it's kind of a little awkward and so forth trying to 
because some teachers couldn't be here. But it kind of worked out nice because a lot of folks ended up going to the different classes they normally don't go to. Some people did anyway and combined their classes and they got to spend time with people maybe they don't normally hang out with. And really that's why I'm telling you that's, that's what our church needs more of. Uh, spending more time with one another and people maybe we don't normally hang out with so that we don't misunderstand each other and uh, so that we realize that, hey, as we talked about in the Sunday school class I was in and Tim Johnson's class this morning, that, look, our oneness is not based on sameness, on things, on common interest, but our oneness is based on the gospel. It, you, so, so, yeah, sure, we, some of us hang out together because maybe we're in the same age demographic and that sort of thing, or we have the same kind of uh, interest or the same kind of job, and so we talk to each other a lot about some of, some of those things when we see each other. But it's so important for us to, to know that the church is bigger than those common interests or those commonalities that we have, and it's all, the whole thing that we have in common is the gospel. So really, that's the sermon, but I'm not done yet, all right? So here in Acts chapter 2, I want to talk about the topic of the devotion to the fellowship. In the English Standard Version that I'm preaching out of, in the Greek, there's what's called an article. And it actually says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Some of your translations will say the apostles' teaching, and some will say uh, and to fellowship. But it literally says and to the fellowship. Why, why the article there? Why the fellowship? Because this is a fellowship here in this church, this early church that we're looking at, that was unique to any kind of fellowship they would enjoy in the world in Jerusalem before they'd come to know Christ on the day of Pentecost. So it's the fellowship. And there's a devotion to the fellowship. So let's define the fellowship. The best definition I could come up with based on looking at this passage of Scripture is the fellowship. It's not coming and filling our bellies, you know, and, and so forth, even though fellowship can take place around that, right? And I'm not against having, uh, you know, being a Baptist. We like our suppers and we like our breakfast like we had this morning and all those things. So we th some of that maybe come to mind at times. But you can do those things and not have biblical fellowship at the same time. You hear me? It sets a context for it. It's important. I'm glad we do those things. But biblical fellowship doesn't necessarily happen just because we come together and eat a meal or even come together on Sunday morning and sing a few songs together. The fellowship that's talked about right here in this passage of Scripture, the fellowship is the new community life, the new community life of believers. The new community life of believers. It's not just the new community of believers. That's a fellowship, but it's the new community life. They have a life together. And that's what we see depicted here in this familiar passage of Scripture to many of us, right? Beginning with verse 42 in Acts 2. is a description not just, hey, 3,000 people got saved in verse 41 and added to the church that day. But verse 42 through 47 is say, and this is their life together. This is the fellowship. This is how they interacted with one another. So notice in verse 37, Peter preaches this this. Uh, sermon empowered by the, by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and the response in verse 37 is they are cut to the heart. You notice that? When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. Their hearts had adhered to the world. They were devoted to the world. But now, now that they heard the gospel being preached in power by this former coward named Peter who denied Jesus on the day of his, of his betrayal, now... They were cut to the heart and realized that Christ was the supreme treasure. 
And they didn't want to be devoted to the world like they were anymore, to their own path of salvation to, to whomever God they might serve. Now their heart, they've been cut to the heart. And we're here this morning, many of us, right? We've been convicted of our sins at one point in our life and continuing. We've been cut to the heart. We've been convicted by the Spirit. So they were cut to the heart. And what else does it say happened to them? Brothers, what shall we do? That was their question, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. So they repented. They were turning. They were turning from devotion to the world and now they were devoted to Christ. It's a, mirac it's a miracle that was taking place by the work of the Spirit. Repent is expressed then by being baptized. So he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He's not saying baptism is going to wash away your sins. That's another sermon. But he's saying repent and be baptized to express, go public with your faith, that your sins have been washed away, that you're making a clean break with the world. And so on that day, 3,000 were added to the church, it says in verse 41. There's a new community. There were many thousands in Jerusalem at that time. So not everyone responded with repentance and faith and and. and expressed it publicly in baptism. Not everyone was cut to the heart, but there in that, that large city around this particular time of year where this festival of Passover was taking place, a huge crowd, some responded, 3,000 responded. A new community arose and was birthed on the day of Pentecost. And so God was doing this miracle, but it doesn't stop with baptism is what I want you to understand. They were added to the church, they repented, they expressed it in publicly in baptism after being cut to the heart and convicted. But notice the first word of verse 42. You looking at your Bible? What's it say? And devoted themselves. You see, repentance is not just a one-time thing. We're, we're born again, but, when, but repentance is, is an ongoing thing. And so the repentance is displayed in the word and. They're continuing to do something else. Something else characterizes them. They repent, they're baptized, they're cut to the heart, they're added to the church, but and they devoted themselves. So my wife downstairs in there, where we do our school work with the kids, there's some figurines down there, and she told me this week that one of the heads has been broken off of them. And uh, she thought maybe the kids do it, and I said, well, I might have done it and just kind of put the head back on top. I, I can't remember for sure. But she wanted me to get some super glue. Now, I couldn't find it the other day. I hadn't done it yet. And, and glue that back together so those, that head and that body will adhere together and be close together. Well, the word devoted, if you look at your Bible, they de devoted themselves. That's what the word devoted means. It means to adhere closely to something. It means to be stuck to something. It means not to be loosely connected and so what we see about the church here, this fellowship of this new community is the life of believers. Believers devote themselves. They adhere closely to the fellowship. True believers devote themselves to the fellowship. This new community life, they devote themselves to it. They adhere closely to it. They are not loosely connected. They're devoted to the fellowship. So let me share a couple of things to you about uh, and with you about this this morning. It's important for us to hear. Devotion to the fellowship, number one, is expressed in love. Devotion to the fellowship is expressed in love. And isn't that the picture that you see portrayed here, beginning with verse 42 and following? 
their love for one another and how they share with one another. The word koinonia that's used for the word fellowship here actually means to common or to share uh, or even communion. Well, the devotion to the fellowship is expressed in love. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayers. So we're focusing on the word the fellowship. The believers repent, they're baptized, they're cut to the heart, they're added to the church, but there's one thing I didn't mention here, did I? What else do they have in common in verse 42, 43, and following? Repent and be baptized, every one in you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Look at your Bible, verse 38. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. These people will be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, perhaps for that unique time in the day of Pentecost, perhaps that meant they were going to speak in tongues too, like the, like some of the, like the disciples had to, to show that the, the, they had received the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't tell us that all of them began to speak in tongues. But it does say they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible does say in Ephesians chapter 1 that when you believe the gospel, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. There's no other experience you need to seek to receive the Holy Spirit. You're, when you're born again, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they're indwelt by the Spirit. So let me share this with you. When we think about the fellowship of the church, devotion to the fellowship is expressed in love. And these believers have the Holy Spirit living in them. When we look at the rest of the Bible, what do we understand comes with the Holy Spirit when he comes inside of us? With the Spirit that lives in you. With the Spirit comes gifts and fruits for loving one another. Devotion to the fellowship is expressed in love. Every person in the fellowship has received the Spirit, and every person in the fellowship has spiritual gifts. Don't ever say, well, I don't have any gifts. That's not true. You may not know, you may not be able to put a name on it, but you have been gifted by the Spirit in some way. And certainly the fruit of the Spirit should be present in your life. And it's there for loving one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says about these spiritual gifts. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So these gifts are given not for us to just enjoy privately and alone. These gifts, whatever they may be for each one of us, and they differ according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, these gifts are given for the common good. Same word koinonia, koinos is used there. It's for the common good for one another to build one another up. It's used for love, to build each other up, not to boast, not for division like it was taking place in the Corinthian church when, and Paul had to come back with in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, which is not about marriage and all this and romantic love. It's actually about using your spiritual gifts to love one another. He's saying use your gifts to express love to one another. Now, we're headed somewhere with this because if you're going to express, I'll just go ahead and get there real quick. If we're to use our spiritual gifts to love one another, that means we have to be with one another, right? That means we can't forsake the assembly of ourselves together. That means that the intimacy that we need to have goes beyond a Sunday morning worship service, actually. So, gifts and fruits then are tangibly expressed. You know, fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. We went through that, some of that with my kids this week. Gifts and fruits are tangibly expressed in the community life. Look at verse 45 in your Bible. You're looking at it? Verse 45 says, They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
You see this love that they have for one another? It's tangibly expressed. They're not exercising spiritual gifts necessarily right there, even though some people have the gift of, of hospitality and generosity, and, uh, whereas others may not have that. As, but, but all are called to it. Gifts and fruits of the Spirit are tangibly expressed in the community of life, and we see a depiction of that here in the early church in verse 45. This is for their corporate witness. God's talk told them to be witnesses to the nations, beginning right there in Jerusalem. So as they love one another, as they, as they have this fellowship with one another, it's a witness to others around them of the reality of the resurrected Christ, that Christ has brought these people together who don't have all common interests, who don't all look the same, but they have the gospel in common. They all believe that this Jesus has, has died and risen again, so that's why Jesus says to his disciples, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love toward one another. Casey was sharing this morning about fellowship with believers um, where he works and how someone knew there had noticed uh, amongst their fellowship, like, is everybody in this community Christians or something? <laughs> and I thought, man, that's wonderful that there would be such interaction among the Christians in that workplace that somebody else who's new might come in and say, is this whole community Christians? You're all talking about Jesus all the time. So their love and their fellowship for one another, even though they all weren't even going necessarily to the same church, but we have a lot of there at the hospital that do go to this church, right? That fellowship is a witness to others. So it's not just that we're being this holy huddle and we're just getting close and we don't care about the world. No, it's for a reason, so that we can reach the nations with the gospel, reach people in this community with the gospel. So we must be devoted to the fellowship of the church. Another picture of the church is found in Acts chapter 4, if you turn there quickly with me. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, in case you thought I was going to preach short this morning, uh, you got another thing coming to you, you're going to get your money's worth. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. <laughs> what, what, what had God done in them? Uh, hey, that truck out there, that's not mine, that's everybody's. That, that lawnmower I got in the garage, hey, if you need it, all you got to do is ask. Man, these were people that were idolaters. They were selfish, materialistic, just like we struggle with still, right? But God had done a miracle. He cut them to the heart and produced this love for one another that was being expressed in this tangible way. Verse 33 says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. They were selling their possessions. They weren't commanded to do this. They weren't under compulsion, except by compulsion of the Holy Spirit that had been shed abroad in their hearts, love for God and love for one another. So they were selling some of the property that they had, not required to, and just bringing the money and say, here, you just use that for somebody who has needs. I, many times they've been in our church or some people done the same thing. They've called the office, called Marsha and said, look, I just got, I got some 
money here. I feel like the Lord wants me to give to the church, and you just use it wherever it's needed. Is that right, Marsha? That happens all the time here. So I'm able to witness uh, this kind of love amongst our fellowship for one another because God has done that in us, and I praise God for that. But this early church was not a perfect church. You see Barnabas bringing, selling his field, bringing it at the apostles' feet, but, but Ananias and Sapphira. You remember the story? Look at verse 1 in chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. They weren't required to even sell anything. But they said they did and then gave the impression that they gave all the money when in fact they didn't. And the Bible goes on to tell us that they lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And both of them were dead before the day was over. If God dealt with us like he did then, I wonder how many empty seats might actually be here on a regular basis. The point is of me bringing that up. The early church, you see this beautiful picture in Acts chapter 2, but folks, they were people just like us. <laughs> they were still a, a sinful nature is what I'm saying. You see it real clearly in Ananias and Sapphira. But don't think that this church just stayed uh, in, a, in this close fellowship without ever struggling with one another. Because when you get close to people, you're going to get irritated with people at times. So what, what does the Bible say about that? That's the reason we have all these instructions in the New Testament letters about, they're called one another's. So if, when you read the New Testament letters, you read things like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Why did, why did the Apostle Paul, why, why was the Apostle Paul inspired by God to say, with patience, Humility bearing with one another. Why did they say that? Because they didn't all bear with one another well. They weren't always patient with one another. It was not a perfect church, right? Never was. This is not a perfect church. So there's commands like bearing with one another, bearing with one another's burdens, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. We see it all through the New Testament, all these instructions to us because we struggle with indwelling sin. And these one another's are giving there because how are you going to forgive one another and bear with one another and bear one another's burdens and be patient with one another? How can you do all these one another's if you don't ever spend time with one another? Expressing love to one another requires being together. Amen? Requires being together. Notice what verse 44 says back in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 44 says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So they spent time together. And as things went on, they had to forgive one another. They had to be patient with one another. Paul and Barnabas themselves split, split off when they started their missionary trips, Right? Well, that's not good that we sin against each other and, and we have to bear with one another. It's kind of a negative terminology to it. But it reminds us that true biblical fellowship takes place when we are together, close enough that we are having to 
exercise spiritual gifts to one another, encourage one another, or exhort one another, or rebuke one another, or be patient with one another, that means we have to be together. We see it again in verse 46. Verse 46 says, Day by day they attended the temple, they attended, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. So what did they do? They went to the temple. That's what they were used to doing at this point in time when the temple was still standing. And they worshiped God publicly. They went through probably the Jewish prayers that they were Jews. It was a place probably where they witnessed as well. But then they were in each other's homes. Man, that's, you get somebody in your house for a while. And that's where the rubber meets the road, Right? That's where spiritual gifts are really being exercised. You've got 3,000 believers in the temple area. It's going to be hard to really get to know one another and, and exhort one another on an intimate and personal level. You even get, you, you have this sanctuary like it normally is or even like it is this morning with the attendance that we have. It's going to be hard if this is the only time we meet together to really do the one another's that we see in the New Testament. Are you all tracking with me? I've said these kind of things from the pulpit before. Devotion, adhering closely to the fellowship is more than coming to this morning worship service. Even though I'm often exhorted and encouraged in the context of this, what we're doing in this place. So I don't want to minimize that either. I'm just saying we have to be more intentional. There's not enough. We are to draw closer together. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says this, not neglecting to meet together. You know this verse because preachers like to quote it all the time to make people feel guilty about coming to church. No, not necessarily, but Hebrews 10, 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we meet together, but why would we meet together? To encourage one another and to exhort one another. All the more as we see the day drawing near when Jesus is coming back. To encourage and to exhort is to participate in the life of the church. To encourage and exhort cannot happen if you just show up and sit down. That's explicit as I can be about it, right? What is it that God might be laying upon your heart so that you might participate the way the New Testament portrays it in expressing love to the church and true biblical fellowship? What would your involvement, if you're a part of this church, what would your involvement here look like? How might it be different? Many of you are doing this so well. and You just need to be encouraged to keep on doing well. I see it often and I'm encouraged by it. We've got to spend more time together, folks. And so we have structures in our church like Sunday school and small groups and dinner for six is something we'll mention next Sunday night and the As One ministry. All these are simply structures because what we don't have, what we do have is a building and we have rooms back there where we can have Sunday school classes. And in the early church, they didn't have that, right? And so they, out of necessity, met in each other's homes if they were really going to do what God said. And, and really, I don't think they were compelled by anything outside but simply then they wanted to spend time together and the way they had to do it is they had to go in each other's homes and be with each other all the time and break bread which was really communion and be devoted to the prayers so they prayed together man we had a great prayer meeting Friday night at the Slater's home and we were simply spending time with one another when you pray together you're fellowshipping together can't always get that in the context of a larger room setting like, like we are this morning as wonderful as that is. So we have structures in our church like our breakfast on Sunday mornings or, or when Ryan's ordained as a deacon here in a, few, in a couple of weeks on February the 10th, there'll be a fellowship meal afterwards that morning in the service. Those are good things. There's a good context 
So we have to be intentional in our day to set up these kind of structures. And some of you do it uh, even without uh, uh, taking advantage of some of these things. Well, that's number one. Number two is this. Devotion to the fellowship is expressed in love. Secondly, devotion to the fellowship is sustained by the gospel. It's sustained by the gospel. Christian unity, Tim Johnson shared in Sunday school class this morning out of our Sunday school book, Christian unity is not about sameness. It's about oneness. And what you see when these folks are sharing what they have in common here in these verses of Scripture that we're looking at, they shared what they had in common because they had a common faith. They had the Holy Spirit living in them. And this is what 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says. Listen to it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit. See that? The fellowship of the, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Well, what's that telling us? The spirit of adoption that each of these believers have and each of us have who are believers here this morning. I'm not saying we're all believers here today. If you're not, repent and trust in Jesus. But for those of us that are, just like they at that time, the spirit of adoption was indwelling them and it brought them into fellowship. The fellowship, the, the Holy Spirit had, adopt, had, had been the means of which God was adopting these enemies now as his own children. Amen? These were now, just like us, sons and daughters of the living God. Now we have the Holy Spirit living us, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. Just un unthinkable. In that day, you wouldn't even call God Father. It would be seen to be disrespectful and irreverent, but now they, just like Jesus prays our Father in heaven, so they do. They because of this fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And because of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, because God was now their Father, and they were sons and daughters, each of them, just like each of us, are brothers and sisters. The devotion to the fellowship is sustained by the gospel, and you see it this way in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. So why does John proclaim the gospel to these believers? So they can have fellowship with them. You see, their fellowship with one another is sustained by the preaching and proclaiming of the gospel. That's what unites them, not common interest or anything else. But the gospel sustains them. And indeed, our fellowship, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says this, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The good news of Jesus Christ, that our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus, that's what unites us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So you, you, you hang out together, you forgive one another, you're kind to one another, you're, you seek to be tender-hearted to one another, you're, you're fellowshipping this way, you're close and not loosely connected because of the gospel as God in Christ has forgiven us. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So as Christ loved us, what drives and sustains the fellowship is the good news of what Christ has done for us. So what's that tell us about how we do church? Kirk preached about it last week. 
It means the good news of Jesus must be central in all that we do. Take that away, and the reason people meet and hang out together is things that will change. But when fellowship is built upon the gospel, the gospel never changes. And that's what keeps the church together, is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what sustains close, loving, sacrificial fellowship. So I asked myself earlier this week about why I love First Baptist Church. I just sit down on my notebook, paper out, and a legal pad like I do during my study. And so why do I love First Baptist Church? And why do I love the church? So I started thinking. I've been here four years. I started thinking. and It's because we have a nice building. I remember when the search committee first brought me here four years ago. I pulled up and walked inside the sanctuary and so forth through the building. I thought, man, they got a wonderful facility here. It is so nice. Come and come to the worship service and and uh, enjoyed the worship services and and enjoyed meeting the people and so forth and but I began to think after being here four years, why is it that I love this church? Why do I love the church? And why do you? Is it a fancy building? Is it feel good music? Is it a charismatic preacher? Is it common interest? No, the first thing I wrote down when I thought about why I love the church, I just started writing down your names. I did. Your names started coming to mind. I won't embarrass people. I couldn't stop. I, mean, I did stop because I couldn't keep going with it, but I just started writing down people's names. This person and this person and this person and this person loves Jesus because the church is, 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 is redeemed people. The church is redeemed people. It's not just people. The church is redeemed people, born again, and dwelt by the Spirit. And I love the church because I get together with those people and they encourage me. They lift me up. We worship in this room. We get together in a small group or a Sunday school class or in a prayer meeting or just out for lunch. It sustains my faith. So this week, man, I had a good eating week. You ever have a good eating week? Praise the Lord. Went to Big John's on Thursday for lunch. That was good in and of itself. Had some catfish. This week, my wife had learned recently to fix stuffed peppers because we had that in Bosnia. That's something I never ate before before I went to Bosnia. I don't like vegetables a whole lot, but you stuff some meat in it and put cheese on it, that's pretty good. So we had stuffed peppers again this week because I was like, yes! Man, how many of you ever had stuffed peppers? Oh, man, I didn't realize that was that th- thing. I thought that was like a Bosnian thing or something. If you've not had it, all I can do is tell you about it. Then Deanna brought home one night from a small group she was in, banana pudding. Amen? Yeah. That's what, can I get a witness? How many have never had banana pudding? Oh, my. You need to repent. All I can do is tell you about it if you've not tasted it. Then yesterday, oh, I had pinto beans and Cornbread, you know it. You know it. Oh, yes. And there's more in the refrigerator for me to heat up later this week. And homemade bread. 
Oh, I could smell it in the house yesterday. Can you, you can just smell it now if you've tasted homemade bread before. You taste it, you know it's good, right? Why in the world am I telling you that? The reason I love this church is because when I meet with you, whether it's in this place or a small group setting or whatever it might be, I'm meeting with people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. For those of you not had stuffed peppers or pinto beans and cornbread, some of you had maybe don't like it, but, but if you've never tasted, all I can do is describe it to you. And you might salivate, or you might look at me like, stuff. well, that sounds nice. And I'm thinking to myself, no, it's not just nice, it's great. But you're just kind of staring at me like, but if I talk with somebody else that has stuffed peppers or gravy and biscuits or whatever it is, and they've tasted it before and they know what I'm talking about, we have this fellowship. You know, I like it too. I like to put pepper all over my gravy and biscuits. You know, it's, it's good. And well, this is what I do. I like to put some sausage in there. I take my sausage. I love it. Because we have tasted and seen that those biscuits and gravy or that banana pudding is good. We know, we know what we're talking about. And when I go out here in the world, and I go day to day, most of the people you interact with, I'm here at church a lot, but most of the people you interact with are not Christians. And if you talk with them about the things above, about how God has changed your heart, a lot of times they're going to look at you, well, that's nice. I, I, I'm really glad, glad that's working for you. And you've got to be thinking to yourself, you're, you, don't, you don't understand. Remember being in the army, in the military, and going for months without being able to fellowship with other believers, kind of just being the only Christian. Not being able to fellowship and talk with others for a while about the gospel. And others just kind of blind to what I'm talking about, and I long for that fellowship. But when you come to other believers, you come to them, you come in a small group, you come on Sunday morning just to sing about the gospel, to hear it preached, to meet with one another, and you're talking to people who've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Like the 3,000 that have been cut to the heart, they've been baptized, they've received the Holy Spirit, and they received the forgiveness of sins. So Travis, Arnold, and Steve Wason and I were meeting Monday, fellowshipping around the word. And we were just talking about some different things and I talked about kind of this issue, I guess, is what we were talking about and I talked about that old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul and how some people, you know, the words just kind of bypass them but there's this one stanza of It Is Well With My Soul that ignites my soul. And when I was talking with Steve and Travis about it, they smiled because they knew what I'm talking about. I have fellowship with them. They've tasted and seen the forgiveness of the Lord. So I was talking with them about the lyrics, and I was kind of getting excited, almost preaching to them. But that one stanza that says, my sin, you know what I'm talking about? My sin. Oh, the bliss. Now, you know, some people, you, they sing that, it's like, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Well, it sure don't sing very glorious. But for those of you that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, there's fellowship. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. 
is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. And I can see some of you as you're staring at me, you're not staring at me like, well, that's nice. I can see in your eyes, you're like, amen. Praise Jesus. See, I like fellowshipping with the church because I'm fellowshipping with people who get it, who received it, who've been born again. And I need that fellowship and you need it. You've tasted and seen and you endure suffering. Sometimes you sing words like, it is well with my soul or how great thou art or victory in Jesus or I will wait for you, this new hymn we sung this morning. And you sing it and you have tears in your eyes because you're hurting. You're hurting because of situations going on in your life. That's why I love the church because I come, I'm coming with people who are suffering in different ways but you're enduring you're enduring and encourages me to do the same so one last thought before I close in prayer is look at verse 43 they were devoting themselves to these things and hearing closely they weren't loosely connected What's verse 43 say? And all came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders are being done through the apostles, and perhaps that's relegated for that day, but as the apostolic work was clarifying the gospel. But, but that first part says all came upon every soul. Do we know what all is? Amazement, wonder. What were they awed about? I believe they were in awe about the fellowship. They were in awe that. They had been saved, they had been redeemed, that they were with people now who were sharing their lives together, devoted to the prayers, devoted to the fellowship, devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the breaking of bread, which is probably communion. They were selling what each other had. They're in awe about what God is doing amongst them. And so the reason I mention that is to say this, what in the world does all of that have to do with prayer week? One of the major things I feel like we need to pray about as a church right now, as I've shared, is the need for us to to be devoted to the fellowship, to spend much time together, more time together, and better quality, gospel-centered time together. So when I think of this all that characterized the, the early church, the reason I mention that in relation to prayer week is that gives us something to cry out to God for during our prayers this week for our church. And we would cry out, oh God, might you work amongst us, work in the church, work in this local church in such a way that we are so de closely devoted to one another and expressing that in love that we are in awe. We are in awe of how you're at work, how you're uniting us, how you're working through us to manifest your glory in this community, how it's overflowing in generosity in our giving. We're in awe that you might be working even through our leaders in such a way to magnify the gospel. It gives us something to pray about. And I guess I'll just close and reiterate the question I asked earlier in the sermon. What is it that God might be laying upon your heart 
that you need to do to truly express devotion to the fellowship. What do you need to keep doing? What do you, what do you need to cut out of your life? This is probably part one of, of a sermon, by the way. Let me address some more things on this next Sunday. What is it that God's speaking to you about that you may need to cut out of your life so you can truly be devoted to the fellowship of other believers? What excuses might be circling in your head for why your fellowship is relegated to a morning worship service? We're glad you're here. We want to grow in Christ together and grow closer to one another to manifest the gospel. So obey what the Lord is saying. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this gospel of Jesus. It's good news. It is good news that you wipe away sins and wash them away through the blood of Christ. It's nailed to the cross and we bear them no more. And Lord, we know that that promise is held out for all those who would believe. So we pray if there's one in our midst this morning who have heard this message, Father, we pray their hearts, they'd be cut to the heart. That a separation would take place between their devotion to the world and, and, and they would become devoted to Christ. You do this miracle. You grant faith and repentance. They would call upon you and be saved. We'd have the opportunity to talk with them about it and disciple them. Father, we pray this morning that you would, you would work in our church family in such a way that we could continue to be in awe of how you're at work. And so often, Lord, I know I am when I sit back and look and hear about some of the ways in which you're at work. I thank you that you are. And Father, we're crying out to you and we're praying that you continually do so in increasing ways. So it would be unmistakable that what you're doing amongst us is not traced to anything that we have planned or programmed or anything like that at all. As wonderful as plans and programs and all those things can be. But that we can just say it's you God it's you it's you're at work you're hearing prayers of your people we've become more of a praying church more of a devoted church to one another and to you do that in our midst we pray and we ask it in Jesus name amen so we're going to stand and sing this hymn together right now if you'd like to come and pray about something this morning and you're welcome to come and pray I can pray with you to get my attention or you can come and you can kneel if you'd like or stand and pray or have somebody come with you and pray with you we need to do more of that you know let me just say we have this time at the end of the service. Something's burdened you on your heart. You're burdened for somebody. You're sick or something like that, and you want to come and pray. And somebody else, you ought to just slip on up and pray with them. Or you need somebody to come and pray with you this morning. you got a friend here. Go over and grab them by the shoulder and say, Would you come and pray with me? I believe we ought to be doing that sort of thing. You come and obey the Lord right now. The rest of us, we're just going to sing and cry out and praise the Lord together because we've tasted and seen the truth of this song we're going to sing this morning. Let's sing together.
be in the house of the Lord this morning again. We're glad you, you came. And we won't have any evening activities uh, this, at, this afternoon because of the weather and so forth. But um, come, come back and uh, worship with us next Sunday. Bring somebody with you. And, and uh, we ought to be so read up and prayed up and filled up that we go out and slosh over on somebody is what an old preacher friend of mine used to say. So be in the Word this week and encourage one another and call one another on the phone. And come to that prayer meeting tomorrow night at Vic and Susan Hawkins' house at 630 Let's fill that place up, you know, standing room only. And Tuesday at the Fowler's house and Thursday over at the Leach's house, right? Fill them up. Come on. Let's do it. David's going to come and pray for us this morning. As he's coming, let me just clarify one thing. I mentioned I had a good eating week this week. Every week's a good eating week. (laughs) Amen. David, close us in prayer. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for the abilities to be able to get out into this weather. We pray for each and every one of us. I pray that you would be with each and every one as they travel home. Be with them. Give them traveling mercies. Be with those that are sick this week. We have several here. I pray that you would be with them, comfort them, comfort their families. Be with us as now as we travel our way. Be with us as we go to the prayer meetings this week. We pray that each and everything we do there would be to your glory. All these things I ask in your most holy and precious name. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, we have been to space and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel. 